Broadcasting from the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado, it's time for Kick Set with USA Swimming, bringing you interviews with athletes, coaches, and experts from age group swimming to the national and Olympic teams. Thank you for joining us for Kick Set. I am your host for today, Dan McCarthy. I had a really fun experience chatting with Brendan Hansen, head coach of the Austin Swim Club and three-time U.S. Olympian. I have had the opportunity to watch Brendan swim since the 1990s. He has won six Olympic medals and been the world record holder in both the 100-meter and 200-meter breaststroke events. Brendan is a native of Havertown, Pennsylvania, and did his college swimming at the University of Texas. Brendan and I get to reminisce about the old days at McCoy Natatorium and State College. We go off into the weeds discussing breaststrokes training and some of the concepts he learned as an athlete. Brendan shares his thoughts on the current state of breaststroke in the world and some of his fondest memories. Brendan Hansen, let's listen. We're here with uh, Brendan Hansen. Brendan, how you doing? Good, good to see you, buddy. Good Glad to, to be you. here. All right, so I know it's 2018 now, but I want to go back about 19, 20 years. We're at Penn State, we're at the natatorium, men's 100 breaststroke. You and Cal Salyards have one of probably the most epic races I've ever seen. I'm up in the balcony, uh, graduate assistant with the University of Pittsburgh, and I watch you two guys go 54-16 and 54-84 in the 100 breaststroke. Well, what was that about? I think we need to talk more about the Penn State Natatorium just, <laughs> just while we were swimming in. I mean, that was a pool. At one end of the pool was, I think it was like four feet deep. And then when you touched the wall for the finish, you couldn't see the scoreboard. So I think if you remember this, like when we touched the wall, Kyle and I swam out to the middle of the pool just to down. see what our times were. You know, I think um, that was a that was a culmination. I think he he ended up when it, finishing that race and then went on to the University of Georgia. And, and I stayed for another year and, and tried to go faster in 100 breaststroke. But um, that was a culmination of probably 10 years of club swimming against that kid and just racing against him and IMs and 500s and all different events. But we both kind of gravitated to the to that 100 breaststroke and 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 I think we just pushed each other in a rivalry all the way to that to that point you're talking about. I mean, and and Pennsylvania States was one of those really big events. I mean, there was the, you mean you remember you were up in the stands and the crowd was loud and. Yep. I mean, it was it lines was one to of those, get in. Yeah, and um, yeah, the lines to get in. I mean, of course, you probably were able to get in with your pass, but um, it was just one of those uh, one of those races that I think really kind of made us both realize, or our coaches realized, that we were of a different caliber and that we were going to go on if we continued down that path to eventually what we did. And Kyle ended up making the you know the Olympics in 2000. Um, I watched him personally do that because I was third <laughs> in both those races, and then. You know, I eventually went on my career and won, won Olympics in 04 and whatnot. So a, a cool part of that story is that you broke Jeremy Lin's record, who I think two years before won it, set the record, and he went on to the Olympics too. So we have three guys in the same stroke coming out of the same state um, that go on to the Olympics. This is a big deal for Pennsylvania, I think. Yeah, well, I, I think it, it kind of made it um... – a tangible goal, I guess, for, for Kyle and I in respects to following in Jeremy's footsteps. It wasn't like we were, Kyle and I were doing something that hadn't been done before in Pennsylvania. I mean, we were chasing that guy. I mean, I remember the 97 Nationals where I was uh, 
in the registration office next to Jeremy Lin, and I was just in all of the gentlemen, you know what I mean? But I'd never met him before. He lived in Tennessee, went to the University of Tennessee, and I just only heard stories of him from growing up in Pennsylvania. So that history was so strong, it really led to a huge string of breaststrokers um, in that late 90s, early 2000s. You have Christy Kowal, there was a girl, Kristen Woodrin, who swam, who's a minute breaststroker out of there, swam for Penn State. So there was a lot of breaststroke that came through there, and I think it, it all really started with that that early push of Eric Namesnick, Anita Nall. You know, I mean, those names were passed around. Grace Cornelius. I mean, I yeah. was just like, okay, I, I, the pedigree's there. Let's go. Yeah, Pennsylvania definitely had it. I mean, you also the Crippens and Dave Burkoff. Yeah. yeah, Anita Nall, as you said. So, yeah, it's an impressive accomplishment for a state in the Northeast. I think for sure, and and I think we all took pride in that, and and we um. You know, the, the, the culture of that state, too, very much a blue-collar state. We all kind of learned through, through our – it was very um, kind of, I think, I would say our, our home lifestyle, just respect of our parents and the way they worked to, to get us to practice and things like that really kind of translated over to the way we approached our training and then also into swimming. And and, um, and it's fun to talk to them about it now a little bit about the ride and how we got to where we were. But um, you, you see those waves of talent come through states. You also see it through USA Swimming, and at that time – it was really pushing through Pennsylvania, and and even today, you know, I, I heard a coach come up to me and say, "Hey, your your record at Pittsburgh got taken down by a kid," and so you know, in my mind is like, is that sparking a new wave of talent coming through Pennsylvania? You know, is that is that kid now thinking because he was fourteen or fifteen under two minutes and turned a breaststroke? I mean, that's he is, you know, his thought is, I just beat Brendan, and I was, you know, now it's like, okay, am I the Jeremy Lin of his scenario? Right. So. Really cool stuff, and, and again, it was just a really fun to be a part of that, and um, it was fun to see where it went from there. It's funny because I was at a symposium in Allegheny Mountain, and another great Pennsylvania swimmer, Leah Smith, oh, yeah. was talking there, and she was talking to the athletes, and this is a question I want to pose to you. She was talking about her memories as a 12-and-under athlete, and she was kind of emphasizing that she didn't remember her times. She doesn't even remember what events she swam at certain meets, but she remembers the people and the experiences and the goofy outfits you'd wear at finals at night and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you have similar? No, I just, I, 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 I'm nodding my head. Yes. Up and down because I totally agree with all that. It, it, I think, I mean, that's a really mature conversation for Leah to have, right. To say all those things to those kids. And I think the further I've gotten away from the competitive side of swimming and looking back on it, it is all about the people. Like it is all about that. And, and growing up, I think there's just a, such a blue collar state. I mean, all of my friends' parents worked their tail end off to just get us to practice on time and, you know, and work. And so there was just this really trickle down effect of work ethic from, and it came from the household, it came from the coaching staff, but it came from everywhere you were. And it really kind of uh, positioned us to be very successful because this sport, you know, the harder you work, the harder, you, the faster you're going to go. And so it really, really set us up nicely to do that. And, and I do look back on all that stuff and remember that I remember the people, the, the conversations and, and, and whatnot. I don't, I couldn't tell you the times. I mean, I had a coach on the pool deck the other day, tell me, Oh, Brennan, your, your 200 breaststroke record at, Pens at Pittsburgh university finally went down from the Christmas meet you yeah. used to go to. And I told my assistant coach, I was like, you know, that one moment every day where somebody makes me feel old. I was like, <laughs> there it is, you know? And I, and I remember the moment because I remember my teammates on the side of the pool and I was, a uh, I think I was a 13 or 14 year old kid trying to break two minutes in the 200 breaststroke. And at the time, that's really that, fast. Yeah, that was a an NCAA qualifying time. Mm -hmm. 
and um, broke the pool record. And so it lasted a long time. And he just looked at me, the coach did uh, on the pool. And he, he winked at me and just said, hey, man, the kid knew who you were. And I was like, awesome, cool. You know, I was like, good. I'm, I, I, I think records are meant to be broken, sure. you know. Um, so it, it's a good moment like that. But again, I, there's a pedigree that comes out of that program or excuse me, comes out of that state that um, really, really, I think is second to none. So, well, you're successfully building a program down here in Austin and well on your way. Have you tried to incorporate some of those things you've learned or? I try to incorporate that in every, every part of my life. Okay. Right? Like okay. I, I think, um, I, and I, and I tell the kids that all the time. And this is a state I'm not, again, I'm in, I'm in Austin, Texas. This is a state where cuts are so important. Time standards are so important. It's drilled in these kids head at such a young age. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm so new to the club coaching world. I don't care what other states are, but I can just tell you the way Texas is right. in relations to what motivational time do you have? Where are you going to? Are you a junior national swimmer yet? And it's just rite of passages. And so my job is to flip the brain and stop thinking about the result and start worrying about the process. And if I can do it at a very young age, right, which again, I'm 30 years into the sport, I realize that the real reward is the people that, you know, everything Leah Smith talks about. And trust me, those kids were motivated when Leah was talking to them. But they're going to go back and go, is that going to help me go under two minutes into a breaststroke, right? Still got to so, make that cut. Yes. Um, and so I think the daily grind for us is just teaching these kids that if you focus on the process and you come every day and you give your best effort, um, you will start to train like the swimmer you want to be and not the one that you are. And um, I, I really think uh, that is a breath of fresh air for a lot of coaches when I say that to them because they try to do that. But I, I, I have so much credibility behind me, not as a coach, but as an athlete where I'm like, this is the mindset that you need to have. Because if you do that, guess what? I've swam with Michael Phelps. I swam with Ryan Lochte, Natalie Coughlin, all the big names that you talked about. I was in that era. Right. So not only was I a great swimmer, but I was a student of my sport. So I paid attention to what other people's mindset were because that was going to give me the edge. And so I really wanted to make sure that these kids understood the mental side of it, because they'll look at a swim at the time and go, that's not the best time I wanted to go. For instance, I got I'm teaching my senior level kids, which are 15 and older on my program, to learn how to swim tired, because anyone that has swam in college understands that that coach is not does not care very much about dual meets they're caring about conference and ncaa's and so you have to learn how to swim tired and so my job is is like if i'm preparing you for the next level and as a club coach i feel like that's part of my development is to get you ready for what i think is probably the most fun you're ever going to have college swimming is to prepare you to get ready for to, to swim tired to, to swim at that level so these are the kind of lessons that we teach at our program um, and I think it's really uh, resonated well. I, I don't take my platform as an athlete or as a coach lightly. And I just try to come in every day and be better than I was the day before. And that's the same way I was when I swam, right? So when you talk about how, what do you do from a standpoint, I, I, I implement everything that the sport of swimming taught me to every aspect of my life, including parenting. I have three kids now, all under the age of five. I'm like, you have got to be better today than you were yesterday. You know, I feel like my wife's putting pads on me and sending me into the room and wishing me the best of luck, right? So that's kind of that's kind of how it is. And I think now looking back on it, it's that to me is I, I'm truly blessed that the sport taught me that. 
And, and I was lucky enough to go as far as I did, not because of the experiences necessarily or, yeah, it's cool to go to the Olympics and things like that, but to be able to keep that road going to where I get more and more and more opportunity to learn those things at the highest level. Right. Right. And, it, and the only thing I can tell the people that are listening is that the common denominator of all those 1% of 1% athletes has got nothing to do with talent. I mean, granted, some of it is talent. But that's no excuse not to work harder than everybody else. And when you get to meet those people and you go, okay, what's the common denominator between X, Y, and Z? And they're the best of the best. You're like, every single one of them will try to beat you and work out no matter what the thing is. And they're going to they're gonna outperform you in practice every day. It's the consistency aspect of their work ethic that is second to none. And it's my job as a club coach just to keep telling them that and hope that the credibility – I'm not too far away from my, right. from my swimming years to not say that, right? Now, granted – We've had some success at Austin Swim Club, um, we, we, so that's that's helping me keep the credibility where it is. I mean, my athletes are swimming faster. They're getting national cuts. They're going to D1 schools. They're getting scholarships, things like that. And um, my, I think the biggest thing is my perspective has not changed um, from a competitive swimmer to a to a coach. I mean, my patience level has to be way higher, right? Yeah, I mean, I got to deal with parents and I got to deal with athletes that want it now, not tomorrow. Okay. And and it's just it's just one of those things, man. So it's, so it's you know, this blue collar ethic that you're talking about, um, your experience in Fox Catcher, then Charlie Kennedy, your high school coach, and then layered on top of all of this is your time with Amy. <laughs> all right. Is it would it be too much to say that a day doesn't go by that something comes out of your mouth that you didn't hear from Eddie or a week doesn't go by that, you know, you're not thinking back to something in your time here at uh, at Texas? Let's just say you don't have enough tape and a podcast for us to have a conversation about the things that I've learned from Eddie Reese. Okay. And and I and I want to say that that road is. I mean, I I have not swam in in the University of Texas pool in five four years, and I'm still learning lessons from from the man. Um, and that's the kind of connection he has with his athletes. And if there's one thing that I've learned from my three and a half years of coaching is, you know, because I was set up to fail. Right. They're like, oh, you're this great Olympic swimmer. You're you're you know, but no one's ever made it as a good coach or one that's going to be successful. Well, if you know me at all, just tell me I can't do something and I'm going to prove you wrong. But at the same token, I was like, I had such good role models. You, you mentioned every single one of them in that field. Yeah. Along the way to where I was like, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I just have to go back and make sure I remember everything because it was a while ago. But remember everything that, that got me to where I wanted to be. And I think the biggest mistake that, at least for me, the biggest mistake that high-end athletes make when they go to coaching is that they're going to coach their athletes or think that the atmosphere of practice should be or needs to be exactly the same way it was for them the last five years of their swimming. If I had my club program and I wanted them to look like the way Texas did the last five years of my program, I would be an epic failure every day. <laughs> I mean, we had like nine Olympic Olympians and how many world record holders in that team, right? You had a really so yeah. Record. So I had to like I had to, I can't tell you how many calls I had with my parents where I was like, Mom, was I like this when I was twelve? She's like, You were worse. And I was like, We're getting somewhere at Austin Swim Club. Like we're doing something. And so it's 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 just bridging those gaps, understanding those things, and and um. It's been nice to have the role models, including Eddie Reese, along the way to help me get there, man. All right. So, you, I mean, you were a national team athlete for a long time. You know, some athletes come on the national team two, three years, but you were a national team athlete for a number of quadrenniums, and you're Olympic team captain in 2012. 
All right. So you have an opportunity to learn some amazing things, watch some amazing things. All right. Do you do you have an opportunity to use that knowledge with your club team? Absolutely. Um, I, I, it's not groundbreaking stuff, um, but I think the biggest the biggest thing I'm able to use with the kids is understanding the mindset. Like, because I, I am a firm believer because I dealt with it, man. In 2004, I was 22 years old. I just broke the world record at the Olympic trials. I get the bronze, the silver, and the gold at the Olympics. I'm flying high. I feel really good about it, right? I come back. I want to go even harder and faster. I go to 2008 Olympics. I am, from the neck down, the most prepared athlete to win the gold medal in the 100 200 breaststroke, hands down. I, I, I mean, it was the conversations I had with Eddie where I will do more than you ask of me every single day. I will turn overturn every stone, right? I go to the meet, and in the pro, I had lost the balance in my life to where no matter how – prepared I was from the neck down if my neck the neck up wasn't right I get fourth in 100 breaststroke I don't even I get third at the trials in the 200 breaststroke and I gotta save up the muster up the energy to make sure Michael wins his eighth gold medal I leave the sport completely right so I think my job as a, as a club coach is to teach the kids where they are at in the process and not get too far ahead or stop looking that far ahead right don't look at the big staircase like oh, I want to go to the Olympics shut up at Olympics. You're, you're, nobody makes the Olympics when they're 11 years old. I love that you want to make the Olympics, but you're 11. You can't go, right? Like, let's look at the next step, the next step, and let's stop worrying about the staircase to get to that point. It, it allows you to kind of build that. But I was just able to, to really focus with my athletes on the mindset aspect of the sport, and I, and I feel like that is one of the biggest things I use on a daily basis with my athletes that I learned in the 20 years I was with the national team. Right. I use common and honors. Hey, guess what? If you're thinking like that, so was this person, this person, this person, this person. And guess what? If you think that not pointing your toes on the third 25 is not important. Guess what? If I told so-and-so that uh, Nathan Adrian, if I told Nathan Adrian, hey, if you point your toes, that's a hundredth of a second. Do you think he's going to do it? You bet. Because a hundredth of a second in the final of the hundred freestyle, when you get to that level sure. is everything. You know, that's that's the gold or not winning a medal. I mean, that's that's where it is. So. If I can get them to start to think like that, the better they're going to be. My, 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 my biggest thing is, is to just teach them how to learn all of the things that they're going to learn when they get to that point. And I think that that's what's separating me right now from other club programs and why people are asking me, like, why are your kids? I'm like, the conversations that I have with my athletes at the senior level right now are totally different than they were six months ago and they should be right. if i'm having the same conversation with them then i haven't done something as a coach to progress them or mature them if they're going i gotta be by that person why are we talking about that person we should be talking about your process not the time what did you do wrong in the race and what can we do better tonight to go faster because you will go faster at night that's just what we do at austin swim club right you know and so so much of that i should have taken more my point is i should take in more psychology classes <laughs> um but i do i do thoroughly enjoy that connection that we talk about that relationship with the athlete and then ultimately i mean and any coach will tell you this when a kid goes faster than they ever thought they could go it's pretty sick i mean i i can't even begin to tell you what that's like and and once they start to figure it out and you realize that they know exactly how to repeat that same mentality that's when you start calling college coaches and you say, you want this kid. Right. And, and, and they, and at the point now where I feel like I, my number one goal at Austin swim club 
is to be the number one recruited college program uh, club program by any college out there because i want the kid that comes out of my program to be an impact swimmer for you their freshman year yeah and i, I think that's a good goal for any club program in the country I think you just filled in a, a piece of the puzzle that I've been wondering about. So post 2000. In my rant, in my ramble. No, I, I, <laughs> All right. I got notes. All right, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> so post 2008, uh, you know, you're done, you retire. Okay, you're out of the sport. But then you decide to come back for 2012. and But at the same time, you're seeking balance. And a story that I'm going to confirm right now <laughs> sure. is at 2012, one of I'm not going to say one of your goals, but you were determined to make sure as a captain that Michael Phelps enjoyed his time at those games. Yeah. All right. So that's true. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which I think is super important because you you came back to take one more shot at, you know, getting a certain time or winning a medal. But instead, you came back to be a really important captain that that team needed. So was that the balance? That was some of the balance. Most of the balance was the social aspect, social aspect of my life. I've been dating a girl for a long time, wanted to get married, you know, those those kinds of things that were there. But I, I quickly realized when I came back to the sport of swimming, especially when I started to train with Eddie again and started to go times that I realized I, it was going to be very hard for me to go a best time. Um, just based off of the age I was, kind of where I was, I would push my body to a certain point and then it, it wouldn't recover the way it used to. So it was like playing that balance a little bit. Um, so I, I kind of I started to realize as we got closer to those Olympic trials. Um, and the only thing that got me through that was everybody said, oh, he's just he's just doing this for publicity. I'm like, here, here, I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah, uh, that's perfect motivation for me. Um and then I, I quickly realized through training camp going into London that I wanted to not only, you know, obviously my individual goals, do things I wanted to do, but I wanted to make sure I left that team if I was going to leave the sport after that. And I had to make sure I cleared, you know, kind of closed that chapter of my life, but really lead the team to where they were very much like I'm talking about my kids were able to repeat the success we had in 2012 at next year's world championships. Yeah. And that I didn't have to be part of the team for them to do that. So that was kind of like the mentality I had going into this Olympics. And and I think that's why if you asked Jack Barrelly, Eddie Reese, people that have coached me since I was, you know, a pro, that um, I've been coaching well before I've got the coaching role, sure. right? And I just – I really wanted to see certain athletes have a lot of fun and enjoy it because I knew what it was like at that point in 2012 to not be swimming for two years miss it, want to come back, you know, and just say it's you're not missing as much as you think you're missing when you're chasing this dream. Because, you know, it's always the grass is always greener on the other side and I'm sacrificing all these things for my fourth Olympics. And who am I winning these medals for? And, you know, all the, the demons that Michael had in his head. And I just said, you have an opportunity to change the sport, change, you know, and, and it just brought him back to this, you know, to where he was. And and um you, I mean, I bet you right now, if you sat down with him and had a conversation, he would talk more about the process than the results. He could care less about the 28 medals and the records. I mean, granted, it's pretty sick to talk about, sure. right? But I think a, a lot of what he'll do is talk about where he went, what he had to go through, and who the person he is now, and the father that he is, and all of those things. And I'll tell you, man, it's common. If you took 
Jason Lezak, if you took myself, if you took Eric Chantel, all of us now have kids and we all call each other and we all are like, oh God, are you awake? Why are you awake? I can change a diaper faster than you can. You know, just things like that, that you're yeah. just like, you, you realize what the sport really, really did for you at that moment. Um, and it's, and it's fun. Um, I'd like to get into the weeds with you a little bit on brushstroke training. Oh, good Lord. Okay. Yeah, let's do it, man. We had a, uh, an email exchange a couple years ago. Um, I think it was t- 2015 and just talking about, uh, the breaststrokers and the times that were being produced and, you know, what we had to do to be competitive in the world. And one of the things you told me was that you felt as if maybe coaches had become a little too technical right now and training the kick had been marginalized. Do you still feel that way? Have things changed? Um, was that I catch you at a bad moment in 2015? <laughs> no, no. I think I think you have to, as a coach, recognize where the athlete is in their process. We get as, and that's the beauty of me as a high-profile athlete, right? Coming out of that into a coach, I don't want to go to the Olympics. I don't want to take you to the Olympics. I've already done that three times. So my mindset in your development as an athlete has never, it never comes back to me because I have already done all those things. And so I don't want you to go to US nationals and try to medal as a 14 year old and think, how is that gonna prolong or, or make my career as a coach better? It's got nothing to do with that. If I go to an, if I don't ever go to another US nationals, I'm fine with that. If, if my athletes are performing and, and that's what they're, and they're getting what they need every single day, I'm a happy club coach. And so I think you have to understand where the athlete is in their process to have the conversation of how technical of a conversation should I have with them about their stroke technique? And this is what you and I were talking about. Or are we not even there yet with that conversation because you can't kick 100 breaststroke under 115? And I think you and I talked about the fact that I was, an, I was the number one recruited breaststroker out of high school, Pennsylvania. Let's bring this email or interview right back around again, right? And I walk on the University of Texas, and I am the worst kicker on the team. I called Charlie and shoot his <laughs> out so hard. I was like, why am I? And then he just told me, he said, Brendan, if you can go 53, 600 breaststroke, but you can't break 115, he's like, all I got to do is get you to kick faster. There was not a single conversation my freshman year about a technical aspect of my stroke. He knew that that was down the road. That was a sophomore second semester conversation. Right now, he was like, you're not to stage three because you can't pass stage one. And so my point is, is that I think as coaches, we get a little bit ahead mm-hmm. of where we're at in the conversation because we as coaches want to go there. And what I think we need to do is say, okay, what is a good goal that's going to get us to where we want to get? What's a good, strong foundation that's going to allow us to have a conversation about technique, right? You put fins on a kid, their kicks a hundred times better. Now you can talk about technique, right? Everybody's stroke looks better with fins yeah. on. So my job is to sit there and say, hey, guess what? First two months of season, we're going to be the best kicking team in the country. Everyone's going to get tested the first couple of weeks on hundreds kick. And we're going to be we're going to we're going to focus on that foundation of getting there. Don't get me wrong. There's technical aspects of this of the practice. There's drills and things that they're going to learn foundational drills, things that they would do their whole career. Right. Right. But it's so important for them to understand that work works. And if you're not focused on the components of it, you can't have a good technique. The best swimmers in the world are the best kickers. 
if I if I walk on my pool deck and I say to any of my groups from the six year olds all the way up to the 18 year olds and I say best swimmers in the world, the best what they will respond as a group, the best kickers. And I, I just try to instill that in them solely because of my experience my freshman year at University of Texas when I walked on there and I was like, I am the man one practice. I am not the man, you know, it was one of those moments. So I would like to see this catch fire. So I might prelude it with a little story. I think not last year, but the year before, uh, word got out that Steph Curry was able to hit 87 uh, three-pointers in a row without missing more than one at a time. So every time, he, if he missed the second one, the set was done. Right. All right. So this caught fire amongst the NCAA. And word got back to Steph that some kid at Kansas put in 220, you know, and this this concept caught. So I'm looking back over some of our conversations and you mentioned this 200 meter breaststroke. I don't know if I want to call it a set or a test where you could swim it under two minutes and 25 seconds going two up, two down. All right. Long course. Long course. Yep. How many people do you think could do that right now in the world? I mean, there, there, there better be at least a dozen. Yeah. You know, but I would love to see I, that, that was the same. On. That was the same. Let's just say that was the same training plan or progression into the summer. I broke the world record okay. at, in Irvine. I went from a 209 to a 208 and then I broke it again, 208 again. Right. So as you get closer to those times, hundreds of a second, tenths of a second are huge. Um, that was just that was thrown at me by Barrowman. Yeah. You know, I remember, you know, Urbanchek coming on the pool deck. He'll just spit anything out of it. You know, he'll just be like, oh, well, you know, and I, I would, and I would, Eddie would say something about how I could push, you know, under a 220 in practice, right? Well, then, well, I'm throwing names out here that most kids in listening to this don't know, but Tom Wilkins from, you know, Santa Kirk Grote, Santa Clara, yeah, they were pushing 217s, mm. you know, and I was like, oh my God. So it was like, it, it, you know, you want to talk about catching fire, and then it was just like, can you do it drill? Yeah. You know, one up, one down to where or two up, two down is what we did here with no pullouts. And I think the the best part about that story is that I the first couple of times I sucked. I, don't, I think I stopped one time at the 150 because I couldn't get I couldn't get the air. I mean, there was there was things that I did in the process of trying to break the world record that I was not successful the first time. And I think it's important for people to hear that. I mean, I would walk in Eddie's office at least once a month and say, give me something you don't think I can finish. Hmm. Because that was the confidence I needed to go up against the world and try to be number one in the world. And that's just what I had to do. I mean, that's probably what Stephen Curry had to do, Stephen Curry had to do to get the confidence to go into a, you know, go in the NBA at the size that he was and be an impact player. Right. Right. So I think um, we always look for if you're going to practice this much for a race that's two minutes and eight seconds long, you better find something in practice that's going to help you build confidence. It's going to feel like you're getting the edge by completing something like this. I remember said, and Eddie could tell you that I went five 100s uh, freestyle on a minute, five 100 press strokes on 110, four, four, three, three, two, two, one, one, all the way down. I did it four times. It wasn't until the third time that I made it. The fourth time I did it and on the last one, I split it 57, four. And don't get me wrong. I, it, I was like super stoked about it. I remember Eddie calling everybody around the country, telling them I did it. And then like, a, you know, a couple years ago from us talking about this, 
I get a call that Will Lacone did it with ease and then, you know, like <laughs> he's put like a 55 four on it. So, you know, it's just, I, those, those kinds of things are fun. They, yeah. they keep the grind going. So yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think that's really important. That was so hard though. And I, and I challenge kids to do stuff like right. that, you know, and, and, and take ownership in it and make it part of your club program. I mean, we have things at our club that we are exclusive to our club that are kind of right of passages. And I, and you know, I, it keeps the engagement of the kids in, right? So everybody knew like, when I would try this, I was going to go two up, two down, that I was going to try and go under 225. And I don't think I ever went faster than Bowerman did, but no. my stroke was better. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's crazy that the next milestone in the men's 100 breaststroke is 56 seconds? No, I'm not. It's just because this... I think long course is still very far behind short course. I go to NCAAs, guys, and I'm like, you couldn't pay me millions of dollars to get in this water right now and swim against these guys. I mean, the sport is just recruiting athletes now, and the coaching staff, coaches around the country are getting and starting to understand how to train smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. Smarter does not mean that they're not going hard. It just means that we are more educated as a group on how to take these athletes that we're recruiting and make them swim fast. It's just a matter of time before we start to see the long course conversion of what we're seeing right now in short course. My times aren't even relevant short course. They are still very relevant long course. Right. And that just shows to me that as soon as we figure that out and, and we will figure that out, that's when we'll go 56, 205. Well, that's, I mean, I don't even think the breakthrough has begun in the 200 breast. No, no. But what you're seeing right now is something that I, I pushed really hard for from you guys from the, you know, I remember, I remember having a conversation with the, the kind of the performance staff at USA swimming where I'd say, I really want to pick up my rate the last 75 of the race. And, and, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I had with Eddie where he would say, you're going to spin out. You're not going to be able to hold the water. Russell would say, the, this, look at the statistics, man. You have to hold the pace. You've got to stay on that rate. You look at every single broken world record right now. And, and it's funny because Russell and I laugh about it, right? We go back and he's like, man, I am so sorry. And I'm like, <laughs> it, it's fine. It's, it's all part of it, right? Like if I had to be that, that's where I was. I you said it. I was number one in the world for so many years. I love that aspect of it, right? Now it's somebody else's turn. They better not be going the same time, or we can't fill an arena to have people watch it, right? But now you're seeing the rate go from, let's say, a 1.5 all the way down to a 1.1. You're seeing Adam Petey go 0.9 mm -hmm. on the end, and everybody's going, oh, my God, who cares about stroke count? If you can grab water and you're 6'3 and you look like he does, you know, we can do things. And so – why, why I think coaches are doing such a good job now is recognizing what kind of athlete Adam PD is and then going and finding that athlete that has the potential to do that, teach them the same way. And I think we're going to see some more of that. Nice. Yeah, and they're out there, man. They're, the conversation we're having right now is is a lot better than the one we were having you know, when I was trying to come back in 2012 where I was like, why am I even relevant in, this, in the breaststroke? <laughs> there should be some 15, two 15-year-olds in Pennsylvania that want to kick my butt right now, right? right? There wasn't. Now we're having a conversation of we are relevant, but why are we not the, at the top? And I think that's what's making USA Swimming great right now is they're breaking down the analytics, teaching coaches what they need to know, and then they're relaying that on to the athletes. The, all the communication amongst everybody is, is what's making us the best in the world. Right on. So one last question I have for you. 
but it's, it's about coaching in the moment. I've had athletes that have swam for me in the past come up to me and say, you know, like, I just, you know, Dan, I want to thank you for that one day when you pulled me out of the pool and, you know, you told me something that really, you know, resonated with me and, you know, it kept me going and, you know, thank you. And I don't recall the conversation and I don't even remember how important it was that every interaction you have with a coach or parent, you don't realize the impact that you might be having at that point in time where it might be the most important conversation that kid ever had. Yeah, those are the conversations that make me feel old, <laughs> right? We, that's what we talked about. Like I have kids now, I'm, I'll go to a pro series event and, and then I'll have a kid come up to me that's actually at the meet competing and say, you threw your cap to me in Indianapolis in 2007. And I'm like, holy <laughs> God, you know, but then I'm like, I don't remember that. I don't remember that kid. But if that catching that cap made him realize that he could eventually get to this level at a pro series event, that's awesome. Right. And I, and I'll be, I'll be lying to you if I didn't say that that doesn't happen at least a dozen times a year where people come up to me and say, you high five me. You, you, you know, you, you threw me your cap. You, you said something nice about what I was doing. And I think, again, the lessons that the sport taught me are endless, right? This taught me that a simple, simple comment or action can have a huge impact on anyone's life, let alone an athlete's. Tidal wave. And I think that's what our alumni, or you want to call them USA Swimming alumni, is doing such a good job of teaching the next product of national teamers coming out is that don't take that lightly. Mm-hmm. You're always on, and 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 right now, now that I'm not a part of the, I'm not a, you know, an athlete of the of national team. I watch them act, and I watch the way they are, and I feel like I impacted the way that team acts all the time, and I'm extremely proud of the way they carry themselves and the, and the way they find, or the way they weigh that importance of prolonging the sport and keeping people in it and getting them excited about it and and being ambassadors of what they're doing that's huge man that's yeah and that's and i and i and what's funny is is that i've traveled the world right i've I've swam in every other country nobody does it like us nobody does it like us and they and they want to figure it out and they want that they want to know how we do it and pie charts and all kinds of crap and what do you do at camp and everything like that and that's just one of those secrets that we just can't really explain to the best of our ability culture Mm mm-hmm Yep, and that's a, and that's the kind of culture I try to bring at Austin Swim Club. Okay. Yeah. All right, a little pressure right here. What were you listening to in the car on the way over today? Oh, man, I was listening to Ryan Bingham. Ryan Bingham? Yeah. Uh, my life is so crazy that when I listen to music of anything, it has to be, like, calming, relaxing, um, and just kind of just real chill because – my, I, I'm just going all the time. For instance, if you just want to talk about a typical day right now, I coached from five to seven this morning. I went to a swim meet from nine to one. I I did a promotional thing for USA Swimming. I'm now talking to you in a podcast. I have to go back to finals and then I have to do the podcast again. So I literally woke up this morning at 4.45 and I'll go to bed tonight. I'll come home. Hopefully my kids are asleep. <laughs> By about 9.30, 9.45, and you know what? I'll, I'll consider that a successful day that improved what I was. I will go to bed, put my head on the pillow, and say, come back tomorrow and be better. And that is truly the gift that this sport gives you. Uh, you'll be able to sleep well, my <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Kick Set with USA Swimming. 
Check out www.usaswimming.org slash kickset for more episodes and add kickset to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes.